Let's pray. God, we ask that you would help us uh, to be attentive to your word. Help us uh, to be attentive to your spirit in the realms of scripture with which we're not familiar, in the realms of the invisible beings that we aren't certain about. We ask that you would make us not only cognitively and intellectually, mentally, but also spiritually fully available to you to be shaped in heart, mind, soul, and spirit. Grow us into the image and likeness of Jesus by your word. I pray and ask that as my words are true and consistent with your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words stray or deviate or are inconsistent in any way with your word, may they just be passed over, not even heard, and what is heard forgotten. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're continuing this morning in the Gospel of Mark. Three weeks ago, we started in the Gospel of Mark. We read and talked about just the first verse of Mark, which we agreed served as, uh, for Mark's Gospel, Mark's title, Mark's thesis statement, and his introduction, all in one short verse. The beginning of the good news of or about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, or the Christ, the Son of God. This morning we're beginning at chapter 1, verse 21. Listen closely, this is God's word. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an unclean spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The unclean spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to unclean or evil spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly. His fame, other translations say, over the whole region of Galilee. Now, Capernaum was a fairly sizable city at a crossroads on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. Israel, uh, what we would call Israel today, geographically was Galilee, Samaria, and Judah. Uh, Jerusalem is in Judea. That's kind of the government headquarters of that whole larger region. And Jesus is up above the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias uh, and really the farthest point that he can be from the big cities of even Galilee. And yet he has left Nazareth up in the hills, come down to Capernaum to begin his public ministry. Capernaum, a crossroads of cultures, a cross route of various roads, and a place that was known to be rather depraved and full of not just Jewish people, but also Gentiles. And Jesus goes into the synagogue as was his custom on the Sabbath, Mark tells us. The synagogue was the original Zoom meeting or YouTube live. The Jewish people had a temple and that was the only place that they gathered for hundreds of years for worship. But then when they were taken into exile, they no longer had their place, 
the temple, the forum or the arena where they would gather for worship. So while they were in exile or pandemic mode, we might say, they came up with this idea of synagogue or gathering place or way to gather and be together for worship. And anytime there were 10 men or males above the age of 13, they could form a synagogue and come together on the Sabbath for worship. And since Capernaum was a fairly sizable city, there would have been many synagogues, Jewish gathering houses in that city. And Jesus goes to the synagogue on that Sabbath, which was his custom. Now, each, each synagogue had a, what was called a synagogue ruler, and he was very much an administrator, a coordinator. He was the one who coordinated the synagogue school and helped serve as a judge and to facilitate the upkeep. He was the buildings and grounds committee as well as the chair of that gathering place or synagogue. But the synagogue ruler himself never taught. He wasn't an expert in the law. He was more of an administrator. And so periodically, uh, when a synagogue was fortunate enough to have what was called a scribe, and a scribe was more than someone who just wrote, but really was, as the NIV translates it, an expert in the religious law. So periodically, scribes would come through and be able to speak and teach and preach in synagogues. Some synagogues were fortunate enough to have one such trained person on a regular basis. Jesus comes to Capernaum and this synagogue, and he is welcomed as a rabbi by the scribes and the ruler of that synagogue to that day teach, preach, speak. And Mark doesn't tell us what Jesus was teaching, what Jesus taught, only that Jesus taught. And Jesus taught with authority. And Jesus taught with authority in contrast, Mark says, to the scribes or the teachers of the law or in comparison to them. And Mark taught with authority in contrast to the scribes or the teachers of the law in a way that amazed, or in some English translations, astonished the people there. And then right in the middle of Jesus' sermon, and we had to assume that Jesus was on a roll and that it was a great sermon because, of course, it was Jesus. Someone speaks up. Someone in the congregation interrupts. A man in the congregation starts yelling. And he stands up and says in a loud voice, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, Jesus wasn't looking to make a big fuss as we as far as we know, he's just teaching, preaching, just doing his normal thing. And then out of the blue, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of Israel, the Holy One of God. I've had someone stand up while I was preaching and shake their head and walk out of the sanctuary while I was preaching. I've had people pass out, in other words, faint, and we've called the paramedics here into the sanctuary a couple of times while I was preaching, though hopefully not because I was preaching. I've had drunk people make it in past the greeters, also known as the bouncers, at the door, in the back end, wandered down the aisle, even the center aisle, kind of wandered, meandered, gurgled, talking to themselves while I was preaching. 
One year at the family Christmas Eve service, some of you may remember this, there was so much loud, raucous chaos all over the house in that service or circus, as I sometimes called it, that it was, I wasn't really sure right down here in the fifth or sixth pew area, there was so much noise and chaos going on that I thought there might be a demon. As it turned out, it was only a woman giving birth. I later found out, but actually it wasn't a woman giving birth as it seemed then because it was so crazy, but instead ended up being two children to whom she had already given birth who were quite unruly and wild. Those are the things I think about when I read this account. But Mark tells us that day in the synagogue in Capernaum while Jesus was preaching and probably because Jesus was preaching, A man who was possessed by an unclean or evil spirit or a demon stood up and cried out, I know who you are, Jesus, but why have you come here? What do you want with us? Why are you here to destroy us? And Jesus spoke, silence. Be quiet. Say nothing more. Come out of that man. And Mark tells us that the man shook and then there was this shriek. We don't know if it was the demon who shrieked or the man who shrieked. It doesn't really matter. It was violent. It was an exorcism. It was a clash between evil and good, between hell and heaven, between the demonic and the divine, between an unclean spirit and one ordained by God's spirit into whom God's spirit had been poured. And then there was silence, it seems. And Mark says no more about the unclean spirit. He says no more about that man. It was over. That was it. And instead of saying anything more about the unclean spirit, about which we're really curious, Mark goes back to the people who again were amazed and who again acknowledged, proclaimed, testified about Jesus' authority. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to unclean spirits, and they obey him. News about Jesus spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And we see that Mark has two bookends with a book in the middle. Scholars call this a literary sandwich. Let's go ahead and say that together. A literary sandwich. But instead of two pieces of bread and peanut butter in the middle, it's two interactions of one sort on the ends with another type of interaction in the middle. Mark does this more than once in his gospel. The story begins with people being amazed at Jesus because he spoke or was with authority. Another little story within the story is recounted of an example of Jesus' authority. And then all the people were again so amazed at Jesus that they announced, declare, testify that Jesus teaches with authority. Even though we still don't know what Jesus taught, though we know what Jesus did. And so the reader is to conclude that Jesus' teaching and Jesus' doing are so inseparably connected with him that they are one in him. Both his teaching, his doing, his being. And Mark's point is now clear. The big point he wants to make clear to his readers here. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, verse 1, possesses authority. That Jesus taught, acted, lived, was with authority, uh, was. He was the Messiah, King, and the Son of God. That Jesus taught, acted, lived, was with authority, demonstrated, proved 
that he was Messiah, King, and Son of God. And because Jesus was Messiah, King, and Son of God, because he was those things, he had authority. He possessed authority. The Greek, the Greek word translated here and elsewhere in Mark's gospel in the New Testament as authority is exousia. And it means, according to Strong's Concordance and Thayer's Lexicon, the power of authority and of right or the right, as in the right to do something. Power of choice, liberty of doing as one pleases, physical and mental power. The ability or strength with which one is endued, with which one, is e- which one either possesses or exercises. Authority. As Mark tells Jesus' story in his gospel, Jesus sort of bursts onto the scene, right? John the Baptist paves the way for Jesus, but Jesus sort of just shows up, is baptized, is tempted in the desert by Satan in what presumably was a Uh, out of the public eye event or process. And then Jesus begins calling fishermen to be his followers, students, apprentices. And then all of a sudden, bam, he has somehow matriculated to teaching as guest rabbi in the synagogue. And Mark doesn't say that the people are pleased or delighted or comforted or encouraged, but rather that they were amazed Utterly amazed, utterly astonished because Jesus from out of nowhere clearly taught with authority. In contrast to the well-versed, well-educated, loftily privileged scribes or teachers of the law who had gone to the best schools in the land, who had been trained from an early age. And these scribes, they would quote other scribes. They would quote other rabbis. They would quote other teachers. They leaned on others' work. They leaned on the scriptures. They were very well versed. They were erudite, faithful scholars who had handled the word of God for years, maybe decades, carefully. But Mark tells us, verse 22, the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because Jesus taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law which is a little bit of a slam against the teachers of the law who were a big deal in that culture and certainly in the synagogue. There was something fundamentally different, higher, truer, righter, more powerful, more authoritative about Jesus. Though presumably he knew the scriptures better than anyone who ever lived, and in fact it was through him that they were written, he didn't need to reference the scriptures to speak truth and with authority. Over and over in what we call Jesus' Sermon on the Mount Mount in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. As if he was even more authoritative Then the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, he didn't throw them out, but he possessed an authority that was greater than them, even as he built on them. Which coming from anyone else would have seemed outrageous, preposterous, heretical, audacious, but for Jesus seemed quite natural, fitting, right, and good. Because what Jesus spoke was What Jesus spoke happened. What Jesus spoke 
came into being all through the Gospels. Just like God himself, the triune God at creation, speaks things and they come into being. And God said, bam, and there it was. And God said, bam, there it was. And God said, bam, there it was. Because what Jesus spoke was, what Jesus spoke happened, what Jesus spoke came into being. His teachings and his actions and his words were together rolled into one unified whole, demonstrating his authority. Recently there have been conversations in the national public square, let's say, about power and about the sort of power we crave as human beings and in society and in politics. The sort of power that we speak of today that people crave, that power to dominate, power to control, power to get what one wants. In contrast, Jesus never held a public office. Jesus was never given a seat at the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council. Jesus never had a lot of money that often is connected with the world's kind of power. Jesus never earned an advanced degree or any degree. He never wrote a book. But Jesus taught with authority. Jesus spoke with authority. He possessed the sort of power and he had in and of himself with no outside reference point at all other than maybe his baptism. Any outside resources because he possessed in himself authority. And Jesus possessed spiritual authority. He had authority over demons. He had authority over death. Jesus possessed what we today might call moral authority in contrast to the moral corruption or confusion of many of the religious leaders of his day. And we know what this means. We know it when we see it. We know it when we've seen it. In history, through people like William Wilberforce, who spoke for decades with great conviction, speaking the gospel into British Parliament. We saw it, we've seen it in Abraham Lincoln and in Harriet Tubman and Dietrich Bonhoeffer and John Lewis in Mother Teresa, in Rosa Parks, in Ruby Bridges at six years old, in Desmond Tutu, in Jimmy Carter, for some in Greta Thunberg, and for some in Dr. Fauci. We may or may not agree on all of those things, but these are people in some ways who for various reasons are able to speak with authority and particularly moral authority. And for sure Jesus in all of history is among those people and chief among all of those people. The Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. The people in that synagogue were right to be amazed and they were right that Jesus taught as one who had authority. Jesus had authority. Jesus has authority. Apart from you or me or what we think or what others think, 
Jesus had authority. Jesus has authority in and of himself because of who he is. About this, I have no doubt. The question is, does he have authority in my life? He has authority. He is authoritative in and of himself. The people around him, they all recognize that. Even the demons acknowledge that in fear and trembling. Even the scribes and the teachers of the law saw and noticed that. All of the people and the disciples noticed that. Who has authority in my life? Who has authority in your life? Three weeks ago, I read a part of uh, a short essay called One Solitary Life. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another. He worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city, never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He's the central figure, though, in all of human history. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of humanity on this earth as much as that one solitary life. Dallas Willard calls him the smartest man who ever lived. Sure, he doesn't have the, never had the degrees, the college, the education. But in Jesus was this radical and unmatchable authority in and of himself, apart from us, apart from whatever you or I think, apart from what anyone says. Jesus had and possessed and has and possesses authority. Is he authoritative in our life? In our lives, in my life, in your life? Clearly he can have his way in our lives. But will we recognize his authority? Will we be subject to him and submit to him? As things are right now, There are lots of authorities in our lives. The government, the various governments and their laws. Parents have authority, parental authorities. Pastors somehow have, sometimes have authority. The church used to have more authority than it does today because it's failed in some of its authority. Our peers have authority in our lives when we give it to them. Social media has authority in our lives when we give it to social media. Various news sources and outlets and commentators have authority in our lives when we allow them to do so. Political parties, politicians, have authority in our lives. The power and the right and the ability to wield power when we allow them to, when we give that over to them. Money has authority in our lives when we allow it to. Mark is going to show in his gospel Jesus' authority over demons, over disease, over creation, over people, over life, over death. At the end of Matthew's gospel in a passage printed at the bottom of the confirmation class, celebration of, bullet, celebration of faith bulletin on Thursday evening, Jesus said, and they worshiped him but some doubted, and then All authority on heaven and on earth have been given to me, Jesus said. Therefore, go and make disciples of all peoples, 
all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to him he possesses. Therefore go, he says. Therefore do, he says. Therefore live, he says. Therefore trust, he says. Therefore believe. Therefore worship. Therefore follow. Is Jesus authoritative in our lives today? Jesus is more than the mascot of the church. He is authoritative. What the synagogue dwellers recognized back in chapter 1 of Mark's gospel. Will we allow him to be authoritative, to call the shots, to exhibit, to pour out his power in our lives in a way that we let no one and nothing else? I think this is where we are at today. It is one thing to be a, tr- a Christian. It is one thing to be a member of the church as Maya and Joan and others have become through confirmation class. It is a totally different thing to allow Jesus to be authoritative in one's life. To be Lord, to have dominion, to rule, to have his way and to submit to that. Too many of us for too long have gone along and thought, well, I know enough of the scriptures which we call authoritative because or in as much as they testify to the authority of Jesus. But it's not enough to know the scriptures. God calls us to allow Jesus to be authoritative so that his words guide, shape, mold, and have dominion in our lives. And that is where we will find life. And that is where we will find salvation. And that is where we will find abundance. And that is where we will find eternity. And that is where and how God will be glorified. And that is where and how we will be free. And it is to that that Jesus calls us first to recognize his incredible authority that we can trust him in every way. And then to bow down to him in worship saying you are Not a pastor, not a parent, not the government, not that we're to disobey any of them. But the greatest authority in my life and in your life is to be the Lord Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, knock us off of our pedestals if we need to be knocked off of our pedestals. Uh, Arouse us, awaken us through your spirit with power, through exercising demons if that needs to be so, by showing us things that we need to see, by reminding us, by calling us to the foot of your cross where you eventually showed so clearly your dominion or authority over death, Satan the devil, and all evil. Give us victory in you, and may you be glorified. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.